Good evening. Please be opening your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 131. Psalms, chapter 131. Well, I'm really looking forward to our meeting that begins in a few days with Brother Garner. I don't get to sit in an audience much. And it is a loss that I compensate for by listening to good preaching by gospel preachers on the internet. But this will be even better for me this coming weekend to be in the audience with you listening to a man who intends to bring to us only what the Word of God teaches and for me to be with him for a few days. There is a pre-meeting excitement that I hope all of us share and I hope that leads to enthusiasm and attendance and good attention during the meeting and then there is that post-meeting excitement that needs to continue that we hope will not last for just a few days. We pray for the good work of our brother who we expect to be here Friday and we pray for the good efforts that we will put forth to be participants in the meeting. By the way, if you use email and social media, I think all of us know that email and social media and digital communication is sometimes used for evil, we can use it for good. One of the best ways to let your friends know about the meeting is to tell them through email or social media. You can take one of these ads we have back here and take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. You can go to my page on Facebook or the Laurel Heights page on Facebook or the website. There are many ways you can do that. Share that on social media, and I think it will help your friends and family know what we're going to be doing this weekend. Tonight, in the book of Psalms, when you read what David wrote, and you connect those readings with David's history given in the Old Testament... There isn't any doubt that David found himself distressed and troubled and afraid and that negative emotions flooded his mind from time to time. And sometimes those emotions would emerge in his words that are captured in the book of Psalms. He would tell God of his stress and his trouble, and sometimes call upon God in very intense emotional states, David would call upon God to deal with his enemies, deliver him. David would say things like, woe is me, in the language of the King James. Or he would say, I cry out to the Lord for mercy. And his emotions just come off the page into your mind when you read the words. David said one time, I'm encircled by words and men of hate. He said that back in the 109th Psalm. And if you look just in the previous chapter, 130, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord, hear my voice. 
Many times before and after the 131st Psalm, David just pours his heart out. He says, I'm troubled. I'm bothered. And Lord, you can deliver me. Over and over, we see David under that kind of pressure, shaken by those who were persecuting him. But David had other moments when he would express the peace and the joy that he received from God, trusting God, doing his best to follow the directions that God gave. There were very refreshing moments in the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And there are times when he would express that peace and that joy of trusting and obeying God and without any expression of the trouble that he was in. And that's what we have in Psalms 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so when you read Psalms 131, they're not complaints about being troubled by his enemies. No calls for vengeance. That's not on his mind here. He is quiet and brief in his expression of what it means to trust God. To trust God and obey Him and to have the hope that that would impart to his soul. And it will be good for us to look at this. We're going to take a few minutes to do so. And first we're going to notice that David begins with a confession of humility. I'm going to call his opening words in the 131st Psalm a confession of his humility. Listen again. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I want to make this observation. In every example of faithful men and women in the Bible, there's something missing. In every example of faithful men and women in the Bible, men and women who served God and were devoted to Him, in every such example, something is missing. Pride. Raw human pride. There just isn't any page in the Bible that you can open where it says, so-and-so served God, with all his heart, all the days of his life, with a heart lifted up in pride and with self-centered arrogance on his tongue. Never says that. Because selfishness and arrogance and pride in the heart and, 
and self-centeredness expressed through the tongue takes us away from God. All of that takes us away from God. Selfishness, arrogance, pride. So you're not going to find that passage that says, This man or this woman serve God with all their heart and with all their pride in themselves. It's not there. It is humility that brings us to God in the first place. And it is sustained humility that keeps us there. And so, actually quoting from the Old Testament, James, in James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So here is David in one of his quiet sober moments of peace when his real heart that sought God and that was trusting God and seeking to obey Him begins with this confession of humility. Application. If I really want to trust God and put my life into His hands... And if I really want to have what God offers in Christ with trust and obedience, peace and joy, I've got to give up self-centered pride and stay away from it from now on. Put it away and keep it out. Pride is deceitful. It makes us think we know more than what we really know. It renders us unwilling to listen and yield and learn and submit meekly to the Creator. It puts us in conflict with others, but the real disaster of pride is it takes us away from God. It puts us in conflict and friction with others around us, but the real problem is it takes us away from God when we think more highly of ourselves than we should. That self-centered thinking, that attitude that is centered on me and what I want now, that disables our ability to fully trust and obey God. Pride disables our ability to fully trust in God. So give it up when you first come to God through Christ in baptism. Give it up then and then stay away from it. David's trust in God as described in the 131st Psalm begins with this confession of humility. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David knew his place. And when his heart was fully centered on seeking God and filling his heart with the blessings God offers, he would say things like this. I found this the other day that may surprise you as it surprised me. An author wrote an article many years ago called The Art of Being a Big Shot. The art of being a big shot. And it was a satirical title, of course. But here's part of what this author said in this article called The Art 
of being a big shot. He said, it is my pride that makes me independent of God. It's appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my fate and that I run my own life and call my own shots and go it alone. But that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I'm dependent on God for my next breath. It is dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man. Small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is self-delusion. It is not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake. When I am conceited, I'm lying to myself about who I am. I am pretending to be God, not man. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself. And that is the national religion of hell. That's from the article, The Art of Being a Big Shot. Pretty good, isn't it? What surprised me is, when I got down to the bottom of it and saw who wrote it, it was written by someone whose name you will recognize, Howard E. Butt, the founder of the H-E-B grocery chain. What I need and what you need is the humility that David confesses here in Psalm 131 and that he embraces. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David knew his place. I need to know my place and you, your place, under the sovereign authority and care of God. Observe with me next David's recognition of need. Just as we need parents. He said, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know, of all the descriptions of man in relationship to God, and all the vivid images and statements throughout Scripture, perhaps this image is the most powerful. Our need of parents is a portrait of our higher need of relationship with God. Let me say again, our need of parents becomes a portrait of our higher need of relationship with God. Now, behind this is the well-known fact that children are dependent. In fact, they're called, in at least one paper form, dependence. Children are dependent. Their existence requires 
their trust in their parents to feed and shelter them, to love and care for them. Children need more than just things and toys and spending money and fun and phones. They need affection, attention, nurturing, guidance. They need authority. They need structure that authority provides. And God set that all up within the family. And what is this all about? It's preparing the child to be weaned. To get out of immaturity to a good productive life. Now, what does God our Father do for us? When we trust in Him and depend on Him, and when that trust and that dependence causes us to obey Him day by day. He weans us out of the immaturity of sin. He weans us out of the immaturity of sin. He weans us from our anxiety and our selfish ambition, our foolishness and our devices. When we trust in Him as a parent, as the supreme parent, He weans us out of those things we need to see that are behind us. Yet we stay with Him. We don't leave home. By sending Christ, God is asking us to trust Him and obey Christ and to be weaned from our moral immaturity and be productive and mature in Christ, but not leaving the house, not leaving the family, staying with God. Think of God taking us away from our immaturity, the immaturity of sin, selfishness. The pride David has already referred to. If we will trust God and depend on Him now, He has the power to wean us, to take us away from sin and from unbending anxieties and our weaknesses into spiritual maturity, but staying home, staying with Him. A weaned child, it says, with its mother, in verse 2. And then I want us to look at David's statement again in Psalm 131. And he takes us to a conclusion of hope. And if you want to be ready, I'm going to be taking us over to Hebrews 11 in the course of my comments about this third point. He says in Psalm 131 at verse 3 at the very end of this poetic expression of the emotions of his trust in God. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I believe there's no such thing as genuine trust in God that doesn't provide hope. There's no such thing as genuine trust in God that doesn't provide hope. Those things are connected in Scripture, all through Scripture. Trust God to the point that you obey Him and there's a provision of hope. 
I believe there's no such thing as trust in God that doesn't impart to us hope. If I really trust in God, that means every promise He has made that I have embraced, I take as something that will happen. Because He said it. See, that's trust. I know it because God said it and I trust Him. Trust in God always provides hope that is conveyed to us in His promises that we embrace when we're baptized and that we hold to as we walk in newness of life. So when David confesses humility and when David confesses need as components of his trust in God, the conclusion is hope. And he is anxious to call upon the people of Israel to have this hope. Not a hope that is isolated, but a hope that recognizes need and confesses humility. It's all tied together. What David had in his trust in God, he wanted his people to have. He wanted his nation to enjoy. Let me frame it like this. As I turn over in my Bible to Hebrews 11 at verse 32. Can you think of anyone in the record of Scripture who trusted in God but there was no good outcome? Now, with reference to David, I've already mentioned that there was trouble under the sun on earth. But when trust in God is genuine and obedient, there's always a good outcome. Though that good outcome may not be experienced here, it will be experienced in God's time. In Hebrews 11, you likely expected me to go here when I started talking about trust earlier. Be listening for good outcome received by those who trusted in God. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's a good outcome, isn't it? In every phrase, by those as they maintain their trust in God. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. 
that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In two different ways. These people who operated on faith had good outcomes. They had good outcomes in all of those phrases that are written in those verses from 33 to 34. And then the good outcome, the final outcome in God's plan, we enjoy. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Something better for us. That was God's plan all along. To provide something that we can have in our obedience to the gospel of Christ. David knew something and the Hebrew writer knew it and we can know it. Faith in God when activated and pursued in real life, always has a good outcome. So, listen please. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child. I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. May I make a suggestion as I close? If you do memory work in Scripture, may I recommend this chapter. Three verses, 